0: this is joy and this is claire welcome back to another week it's been a minute because claire was surfing but we're gonna catch up next week on all the details of your surfing trip because we have a guest that we're so excited to welcome back welcome back to the podcast diane sanfilippo
1: hello hello and welcome. <laughs> i was gonna like be the third hello
0: years. in your little <laughs> you should have you should
1: have <laughs> um and more wow, to come on why years. i decided to do like a Da, 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 when I introduce myself. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been almost exactly six years since last time we talked to you in real life mm-hmm. When you're on Girls Gone Wild for everyone. Do you
0: want to say the reason why I know that?
1: <laughs> the reason why I know that?
0: It was election night. Yeah. And so that was just a real charged evening for us. And so that was like burned in my memory because I remember Diane and, and Claire and I just being like, what, what is going on in the world? So that's how I know. <laughs> and but. Claire and I
2: have blacked it out. Yeah. I remember you guys blacked it out. We, were like, oh. we remember election night. We didn't remember doing the podcast that yeah. night. Fun fact.
1: But yeah, so uh, I mean, I think for all of us, it feels like a lifetime ago. And so we're so excited to chat with you. And I know a couple of months ago, um, you had sort of asked your listeners, like, hey – who should I be, you know, as you're entering into this whole new phase of the anti-diet world and has you have been entered into it and kind of who mm-hmm. should you talk to? And um, a lot of our folks reached out to us as well and said, hey, you guys should have Dan on. So we're so excited to have you. Oh, yay. I love that. What an evolution
2: for all of us, I guess.
0: What an evolution for all of us, which I wanted to kind of start with how like the moment that you mm. decided to kind of start shifting. And I don't know if it was a moment, but mm-hmm. I think a lot about we we're kind of talking offline of how Claire and I decided to rebrand and we moved away from Girls Gone Wild for a lot of reasons that we've talked about on the show. And that itch to kind of feel like something else is changing, something's evolving, and people will tell you, no, you shouldn't do that, you're going to lose listenership. What was that process like for you? How Mm. did that start?
2: Honestly, it was a very, very personal decision. Ultimately, it was very much my own on and off dieting that I just... Decided had to stop. So the personal moment for me, it's, it's hard to describe in (laughs) a short amount of time on a podcast. And I've done this on many episodes of my new podcast is called Full Plate. I know many people know me from the Balanced Bites podcast for many, many, many years. Um, but on Full Plate, I'm kind of like taking people through a lot of detail on this stuff, but essentially I had a moment where after throughout the year of 2019, I had been essentially dieting. And I think what people don't know about my background, because people know me as writing Practical Paleo, 21 Day Sugar Detox, and just kind of teaching about diet and nutrition from a health perspective, not from a weight loss perspective. It's that I didn't have a diagnosed medical condition. I didn't have a reason I was doing these things other than I did think of it in terms of optimizing health and preventing disease and all that. That was really my personal take. And I never was using those tools of those diets for weight loss in particular. However, I was somebody who was chronically on and off of diets, tracking macros, specifically counting calories, whether it was with paleo or keto or not or any of those things for about 20 plus years. That's the life I was living, essentially almost every other year, because I would stop doing it, gain the weight back and then be like, Oh, no, I have to do this again. And so for 2019, and then some I had been essentially dieting, meaning tracking macros, you know, really just counting everything I ate and being extremely regimented about it, then the pandemic hit, as we all know, like many people, I gained weight and I continued to gain weight throughout that year because I wasn't limiting what I was eating, just eating to satiety, you know, that novel idea. I mean, truly kind of like
1: a radical concept.
2: I I know. And, and honestly, every time I had done that over the years, I mean, this is the light bulb moment, right? It's that every time I just ate to satiety, didn't, you know, do a tiny scant portion of olive oil on my salad, actually dressed it the way I wanted to enjoy it, I would get Closer and closer to the weight I'm at now. Like I would just gain back the weight each time. And so this last time, it had to be very early 2021. And I got on the scale. This is the last time I got on the scale. I got on the scale and I was like, I'm literally not going to do that again. The thing that I just did and then gained it all right back. It it seemed to have happened even quicker this time. And I think because of the pandemic, just kind of magnifying everything, I couldn't control my food choices as closely because I couldn't necessarily get chicken breasts at the store, you know, little silly things like that. Uh, So it was a very personal decision in that moment that I was done. But that being said, if we backed it up a little bit more, I would say it probably had been since... Around I don't know late 2019 or early 2020 that I really started noticing what people were doing with my sugar detox program. For example, you know it's a 21 day program, but I watched people not only repeat it over and over and over and over again, and I was like, why are they still doing this? Haven't they like learned what they wanted to learn? Um, watching them use it as a weight loss tool, watching them make it more restrictive than I had ever made it just watching the behavior patterns of people and I kind of first had the decision to stop supporting that program from myself and my company like my team and social media and all of that so we had posted about that saying okay community supportive 21 day sugar detox is no longer a thing so that was my like kind of beginning of breaking up a diet culture in general but then the next part that I just described that was really my personal like I'm putting my foot down with myself I'm going to let myself actually eat food when I'm hungry. And I'm gonna have to just be in the body that I'm in. And that's really hard. It's hard on so many levels, because I not only quit dieting, but I quit my career, essentially. And now I'm like, do we curse on this show? Of course, (laughs) every (laughs) show is a curse. show. Now what the fuck? You know, (laughs) like, now what the fuck do I do? And I mean, I have plenty of, you know, paths that I'm taking and can take. But It's a big deal to just give all of that up, essentially, because it wasn't just personal, you know, it was my career.
1: I think it's so common also that people who live their lives largely with like a large social media presence, Mm. when you know them in real life, it's sort of like, oh, you're not really walking the walk and so you know you see people who are like talking about oh i would never you know i never want anybody to restrict right you know and then behind closed doors they are only eating three almonds as a snack <laughs> you know i think we had a some have had some similar moments over the years of like not supporting challenges like not supporting right. you know we did like a whole whole 30 thing once where we did a daily voice memo about it and posted yeah. it and it was like we oh, once we did can't. a challenge yeah we've like we, in our like, first
0: couple years we did, we did a couple like a challenges. health challenge like it's we did a couple Challenges. I mean that was so, so like,
2: huge back, it was so in huge in culture like you yes. couldn't really That was part of it.
1: Right. You couldn't get away from it. And it was, it did take stepping back and saying, what are we really saying when we do that? What are we promoting? And like, I think probably similarly to how you were looking at people doing the 21 day sugar detox and thinking like, oh, this isn't really how I thought people were going to use that. I think a lot of people who were in the fitness world in sort of the 2010, 2015 world and sort of like came of age as what was not even called an influencer then, but as, that type of person at that time, kind of like, I think, have had a lot of those moments and yet at home continue to practice those very restrictive behaviors. Um, Mm. So I can imagine that the personal breakup probably felt really monumental as well. Like, it's one thing to kind of say like, oh, the 21 day sugar detox is not going to be supported, but then to actually take a look in the mirror and, you know, literally on the scale and say like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah.
2: And You know, the way that we had always talked about it on the Balanced Bites podcast in terms of like, quote unquote, dieting or weight loss, we had always I know for a fact my language was always listen, if you're trying to lose 5, 10, 15 pounds, even 20 pounds, I always told people that's diet land, like your body naturally, if those are the pounds that you're trying to lose, this is going to be a diet And for whatever reason, I don't think I connected the dots with myself and my own patterns in the fact that the way that I was eating, and I didn't think I was necessarily restricting when I was restricting until that light bulb moment of like, oh, duh, this is like, if I naturally gain weight just by eating when I'm hungry, (laughs) I mean, I know it sounds totally nuts. No, but, but it's so normalized to like it's be so on normalized. a schedule,
1: only and eat at certain times. The, like
2: The number is what's telling you what yeah. you quote unquote should eat. Like I really believed that that was what was appropriate, an appropriate amount of food for me because that's what the number said. And if I really ate as much protein as the macro said I should and all the, and you know, veggies or whatever, like fiber, maybe, yeah. right. It's like maybe I wouldn't be ravenous or something like that, but the reality was. Always the same. And I kind of hit that point of stopping the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Like, did I expect that that weight would stay off? I think I did, but of course it doesn't because Mm -hmm. that's not where my body naturally has a set point. And I think I had to also come to terms with the fact, and I'm still like, let's just, I need people to be clear. I am not now like an anti diet expert and educator. I'm literally in this process just as a person going through it. Very publicly, because I mean, I was this, for lack of a better word, diet influencer, obviously, like a best selling author of diet books, even though my audience very much is like, oh, I never really saw it as that I'm like, yeah, but that's what it was. It's still what it was. Like, I can call a spade a spade. It's okay. I can say it. I can say the thing, you know,
1: and so yeah, And we'll, we often also say that like, it's not, I think it's similar to any behavior change that goes against the cycle you've been in your whole life. Like it might, you might never arrive at the place of like being done with diet culture. You might still have that voice in your head the rest of your life. And every time you see it before and after on social media, it's gonna, you know, smolder a little bit. And you have to be the one to say, Cause it is so easy, to just get swept right. right back in the current. It's so easy. I remember once, like trying RP, and I only tried it mm-hmm. for like three days because that is a full on starvation plan. I literally was setting timers on my phone for when I could. No. Eat. Like, I believe in you. case
0: people don't know what that is, it's Renaissance period periodization. periodization right yeah, now. and they have like yeah.
1: I mean, they're like before and afters are incredible because they're putting people on these wildly restrictive diets and incredible
0: air quotes air, huge, right. minor,
1: <laughs> enormous air quotes, like, <laughs> right? Exactly, right. but um, but yeah, it's. I think it is important to also to what you just said, Diane, like name that it's not like an end point that you reach where one day you wake up and you're like, I'm done dieting. Like, no, this is something that is so ingrained right. in our culture. It's so ingrained in the way we were brought up. It's so ingrained intergenerationally. Like every time you go to a family gathering, what so, you know, whatever the case may be, every time you see an older photo of yourself when you weighed 30 pounds less and you're like, oh, I did look good then. You know, like it's always that little voice in the back of your head. Right. It's, it's exactly that. And, you know, I think the
2: other thing that fed into this happening for me when it happened, Happened was also the magnification of racial justice issues that kind of grew over 2020 and learning more about the social justice issues around weight and body size and inclusivity and health at every size as a paradigm and understanding that there are racist underpinnings to the fat phobia that is deeply ingrained in all of us. I say all of us, myself included, listeners included, because we do see bodies that look a certain way. And, you know, Sonia Renee Taylor, who is an author of the book called The Body is Not an Apology, she talks about this bodily hierarchy. And when we see that old picture of ourselves, me too, okay, myself included, when I see those old pictures, I do get that twinge because what I gave up was not just dieting. I gave up my place on the bodily hierarchy of things quote, unquote, thinner equals better equals, you know, quote, unquote, smarter, or healthier, like we have this false assumption that people in smaller or thinner bodies are healthier. I would say pretty much every thin friend I have has some kind of diagnosed health condition. You know, does does that mean they're not a good person? Absolutely not. Does that mean they don't deserve care? Absolutely not. But we just have these assumptions about what it means. And it's Rooted in racism, Sabrina Strings wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Roots of Fat Phobia. And I think that that's, that is something that just was layered into all these other things and the cognitive dissonance that I was experiencing between what I was thinking and feeling and what was, you know, what it was that I was doing. And especially, you know, with my public life, I, And I am very much not the person who can quietly be leading a different life. Like, I don't have that gene. So if I was, you know, quietly dieting behind the scenes, first of all, I wasn't because people watched me count macros and do all of that. But I never like thought I was dieting. But essentially, the minute I stopped is when I started talking about it publicly, because I just I don't know how to do that. I can't act you know. But anyway, I just wanted to say that that definitely piled onto it because it is a very personal thing, but it is a social justice issue as well.
0: I just have to say, I remember you going through this on social media. I remember watching your stories. I remember you really talking a lot about how this is wrapped up in racism. And I, you know, social media can be such a minefield of people, especially white women and virtue, virtue signaling Even though I'm a white woman, I can say by looking at yours, at least I'm not going to speak from a person of color, of course, but it felt just a genuine openness conversation around how you were trying to unlearn a lot of things. That really struck me as like, okay, this is someone who's really doing the work and not trying to be like, look at me doing the work. It was just like, I'm just making this decision and this is really important to me and I have a lot of things to learn and unlearn versus some other platforms I saw where it was just, it really was just like an icky feeling of like, okay, now you're Mm. doing this because you feel called out. And if you don't make a statement, like you, it just kind of happened to overlap where you were like, and I'm noticing this is a huge problem in the BIPOC community. And so I think that that is something that really struck me. And I just want to commend you for that. I know you're not looking for like (laughs) accolades about it, but just that was something that I think is really meaningful for the people who really were looking at that as well of saying, this is a big problem. that we're feeding into a racist culture if we continue to perpetuate this thin body
2: as the ideal. 100%. And well, thank you for that. But I think also, I was, for lack of a better word, sort of lucky to have realized what was going on in the world, for lack of a better word, like becoming woke, or I hate that word. But it's like waking up to the injustices because Yes, as a white woman who has been in a certain body and certain financial privilege or whatever it may be for much of my life, really, and not being very political in my younger years at all, because I I was shrouded in privilege and didn't quote unquote have to be, you know, so I didn't pay attention to what was going on in the world. And I kind of I kind of feel like it was about a minute. Before you know everything happened in 2020, I say a minute because it was maybe a couple of years before that I started talking about some issues around just white privilege and racial injustice and all of that. So yeah, that it just kind of converged at that time. Um, but I had been trying to teach people like what is privilege because I know for me it was a big lesson to realize that yes, I worked hard, but also here are all the hardships I did not experience, you know, and all the legs up I had. Uh, different steps of the way. And it's it's hard for us to, to see that, you know, and to say like, yes, I I did work hard at whatever it was, but also just like being given opportunities or whatever the case may be. So anyway, thank you. But I think, um yeah, it's a really important part of the conversation.
1: I think it's really interesting too, what you're saying about giving up your basically status when you stop trying so hard to live in a smaller body that, you know, that very... Eurocentric, white, thin, you know, particular features, that standard is still really the baseline that so many people look at to gauge success. Mm-hmm. And especially as someone still in the health and fitness world for better or for worse, I know, you know, I've people all the time on social media get bullied for their body size and being like, well, why should I listen to you? You're not 120, you know, you're not a size two. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so interesting to think about what you were just saying, like what we take for granted in terms of also the, again, that sort of like 2010 to 2015, like health and fitness influencers before it was called influencers demographic, that I think a lot of like millennial women who are listening to this podcast are very familiar with and are very ingrained in to stop and take a look around and think, okay, who am I discounting? Who have I right. discounted? Because they don't look the way that I expect them to. And not just look the way, but mm-hmm. because their body's, shape specifically was not what I expected when I thought of like a success story when it came to quote unquote health
2: or somebody worth listening to in terms of health A 100% I view the success that I had with my book my first book practical paleo which was on the New York Times list for like two years and then you know I wrote a second edition and like just kind of it has sold so many copies it has been such a successful book I'm I'm like the least famous best-selling author like for all the copies that book has sold those people don't me on social media, which is totally fine with me, honestly, um, because they would be wildly disappointed. But I think that I see that, like i I think I wrote a solid book. I think I wrote a really great book that helped a lot of people with what they were trying to do. Um, I think I was actually a lot more. A lot more moderate on things than people might have assumed, and certainly then, like my now co-host is like, you told every single person to stop eating gluten. I'm like, yeah, but it was a paleo book. Like I had to do that. You had you know, to do. Yeah, you couldn't have gluten yeah. in a
1: paleo book. Mark Sisson and, would just come after you in your sleep,
2: right? And I, I did believe that at the time too. Like I definitely believed what I wrote, but that's also where as you're saying the intersection of privilege. Like, who are all those people who were best-selling authors? I. I'm pretty sure most of us were white and able-bodied and, you know, experienced thin privilege, meaning we're in bodies that can walk into spaces and know that we will literally and physically fit or, you know, buy clothes that fit, whatever the case may be. So I'm like, you know, could I help someone else do the same thing I did? Well, do they look the same you know are they in the same kind of body like that whole thing of this hierarchy and it is really interesting when we stop and look at who is it that we listen to and trust and what are the bodies that they're in and why isn't it more diverse
1: what was the practicality of making that switch like mm. um in terms of like personally in terms or of like publicly your content or... just all of the above like you got off the scale that morning and you're like i'm not doing this again mm-hmm. and then what happened <laughs> Um,
2: well, so listen, I think I'm a terrible content creator, like 99% of the time. And I say that because I'm not somebody who like plans my content. I'm not. I don't stick to a niche. I don't like educate on one thing for forever. And then like sell a product on that thing like that. I just don't I can't do it. I know exactly what would work. And I'm literally like, Nope, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm not like posting cookie recipes at the height of you know, Instagram, like literally, if you would just post cookie recipes and giveaways that would do really, really well. And guess what I was like, Nope, not doing it. So I think I just I always think about who are those core people who've been with me all this time, whatever that time is, whether they were Balanced its podcast listeners, whether, you know, they've followed me on social and email or wherever. And I just think like, what would help them? Because what I do is basically just share what's real for me at any given time, you know, so when I was writing my books, like those things were real for me, I was doing those things like that education and information was helpful to me. I just kind of figured, I don't know, I just, it's not a calculated endeavor. You know, it's not like, well, here's how I'll strategically start to share this. It's like, I just ripped the band-aid off and just say what's real on that day, because that's just how I share anyway, just very much documenting versus creating. Um, and so I think kind of to maybe, maybe Joy, you had seen something that I posted, and it was probably just some sort of statement about diet culture. And like what it's done to us. And I probably posted something on my feed a couple of times, but mostly talked about it in my stories, just because I feel like that's where the people who know me, quote unquote, more, you know, and really dig in and connect more and started just talking about it whatever I was doing, I don't remember anything too specific. I do remember, though, that at one point, I kind of diverted a lot of the conversation over to Patreon, because I felt like I was happy to talk about a lot of the general elements of this whole thing publicly. But I really felt like if I was going to bare my soul, (laughs) I wasn't prepared to do that in a really public forum, where people I I don't know and don't know me and have not been in my space for any amount of time would just even see it because I have comments limited. So that's not really (laughs) the issue. Like you can't comment on my stuff if you're not a follower. And if you haven't like gone through a waiting period of following like there's a whole thing. Lots of boundaries now. Which
0: but, I love that about you, that you draw such good boundaries on social media. I mean, and I was... You will quickly address people who cross that boundary. You're just like... I was so bullied is-
2: on social media that I had to. As soon as those limits became available, I was like, ooh, what's this? Like, what's every limit I can turn on? <laughs> I was like... Oh, you can limit comments to only followers? Cool. Oh, there's a way you can limit if they follow you. They have to wait three days before they can comment. I'm also doing that. You know, (laughs) like all these different things. Um, People are mean.
1: And like... I think, you know, I know Well, me. they'll send
2: the bullies will like yeah. send a group of people. And I was just like, I'm not having that. No, we're not doing that's that. Ridiculous.
1: And I'll, even like in less extreme, you know, people who are horrible ways, like we've talked about this. I know, you know, this is something Brene Brown talks about a lot, which is like if you're is still in it, sharing your story can be. Sometimes even like borderline not helpful if you're still so in it. And so I think you know limiting and not just being Mm. like oh I'm just gonna post it and whatever happens. Like I know also so many people who hold back from doing what they really want to do because they're like I don't want to have to show all these people this. Right. And similarly to you, I think Joy and I can totally relate. Like I can't live a double life. I just don't have that much time. And so (laughs) I, you know, I am not gonna do one thing on social media and then do something else at home and I think a lot of people are like that just too much cognitive dissonance and so instead of saying what you did of like okay so therefore I'm going to limit the people who have access to this part of my story they just don't do it at all
2: I think the reason that I found another way to share it is that I I am kind of an I'm an inside and outside processor like I do really benefit from writing down what's going on with myself. I'm not good at journaling, though. If it's just for me, I have to feel like it could benefit somebody else. Otherwise, for whatever reason, I'm like, there's no point in me writing that down. I don't know. I'm sure my therapist would have something to say about that. But I just can't do a journal, but I will do an oddly semi-public journal where this, you know, maybe it's a few hundred people who've come to Patreon or something like that to see, which I'm not really using Patreon in the same way now. So just kind of as a caveat, but there is a lot of archived content there that people have found really helpful. But I think one of the reasons I ended up shifting the way that I share now is that we started a podcast. And so to the point about sharing while you're still really in something, I do do that. I share now while I'm in it. You know, there's a period of this that I have gone through certain stages of this process. And I'm like along the journey, maybe a few steps ahead of where some of my like readers and followers and listeners would be. But my co host on the show, she is actually somebody who coaches people on this stuff actively is part of her practice. And so she's kind of more the expert on what to do, and I'm like, let me just share what I'm going through and what my experience is, and so it's a nice balance because, yeah, it it is tough to just kind of share that, and I also don't think it's a hundred percent helpful to only share that and to say, you know, and also I don't really know how to help you. <laughs> If you're struggling like I am in this moment, whereas at least, you know, with the podcast, we can kind of give those tips, like Abby is my co host, and she will actually give tips. I'm like, great, that sounds good. I'm not really giving those tips. I'm like, I'm struggling, you know, I'm going through it.
0: Well, I wonder, too, if the reason because I used to journal all the time, all the time when I was in my 20s, especially I just was like pen to paper. I think social media has definitely influenced our the way that we share and connect. Maybe that's just me. But I wonder if it has to do too with you're just someone who really likes to connect with people and make connections and it feels good to to connect. And we've seen that the sharing of stories really helps others. So there's a part of that that I think is really valuable. And of course, journaling is great if that helps you wonderful, but it's not the end all be all. There's plenty of people out there and I don't really do that anymore either. I think there's just something really wonderful about sharing in a way that feels appropriate, that maybe you're helping someone else feel less alone.
2: Yeah, I think that is pretty much where I landed, you know, that it helps me. And I think it can help someone else. And, you know, that's kind of it. You know, there were lots of people, though, who <laughs> it's wild. It is so, so wild. Lots of people who had this assumption that I was shifting to anti diet, quote, unquote, for the money. And I was like, first of all, exactly what money are we talking about? Can I have some of it? I okay. Was, like, wasn't I wasn't aware that
0: anti-diet is I, is I know I know diet books are very lucrative. So there I are see. some anti-diet
2: books. And honestly, I would be really lucky and fortunate to be able to share this side of my story one day in a book. Like that is something I want to do, and Abby and I have talked about this my, you know, podcast co-host, like maybe we would do write a book together and if that can help people, I'm absolutely ready to do that sure. because I also I also feel I have a responsibility as somebody who sold lots of diet books that if this is no longer something that I support to actually share what is it that I'm doing and what is my take now. But, you know, I'll be very fortunate if that is the case. But the fact that I have shifted my perspective is absolutely not rooted in oh, this is where the money is, because frankly, it's not. First of all, it's only a losing endeavor financially for me. And it really just became I can't, I can't not be honest. But I just thought it was really funny, because I was like, can we run the math on where this money is? Or like, can you point me in a direction of where exactly you think that is? Because even if I do get the chance to write a book about this one day, like, that is not 99% of the time, that is not like, you're not rolling in it from writing a book. You know, I was very fortunate with my first book, but I've written many others and I know, you know, you're not like, you're just not rolling in it from writing a book. But not
0: only that, even if that was your intention, like, so what? You know, there's a part of me that's like, it's like people will look for reasons to call you not genuine no matter what totally and so you could write a book because you're passionate about it but then all of a sudden you're someone who's trying to make money out of the situation so should we call every author that's trying mm. to make money off of a book not genuine because they're trying to make money off of their story yeah. so i just find it really interesting yeah. how people will try to find reasons to knock you down so speaking of money we do have to take a quick break for our ad <laughs> because we are rolling enjoyed. in the dough <laughs> we are- Oh, no, we are rolling in the dough with this podcast. We are doing it for the money guys. No, our sponsor is Ned, the makers of our favorite CBD products. And we want you to try out Ned because we love them so much. We only we only pitch products that we have tried and love ourselves. And you know that they have been a longtime sponsor, which means we have a long term relationship with them. And we love their products. Claire loves their sleep blend, sleep blend, blend? mellow, daily Daily blend. blend. I love their sleep blend. Daily Blend and Mellow. I use their sleep blend daily, and then they also have a wonderful new brain blend. They have full transparency. You can go on their website. They share their third-party lab reports, who farms their products, their extraction process. Become the best version of yourself. Get 15% off NED products with code JOY. That's helloned.com forward slash joy or enter code joy at checkout. H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy to get 15% off. Thank you so much, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You
1: will have sleep that's way smoother than that ad ad transition. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) I'm glad you like that. Yeah, I really did. I'm really glad you like that. Okay, I'm curious about your podcast. Hopefully the folks who are listening now who have not heard your new podcast are gonna run over and add it on their whatever platform they're listening from. I'm curious what it's been like to have a really different dynamic and go from being the expert on a topic to Mm. being someone who's learning in real time.
2: (laughs) It's weird. It's kind of liberating. Like I can show up and just not be expected to have answers, you know, and I like that. Yeah. it, And I don't not only do I not need to have, quote unquote, the answers, but my experience and my journey is mine and real and true no matter what. You know what I mean? So somebody may or may not resonate with it. Mostly people do. Um, I shared an experience of like a meltdown I had in a fitting room at Nordstrom. I think it was like episode eight. So really early in the show. I think we're um, coming up on episode like 36 or something now, which is so wild. Like we did 400 episodes of the balance fights podcast and like 36. (laughs) woohoo! But yeah, it's, it's been fun. And you know, I think that that'll evolve over the years too. like anticipating that we'll do this show for quite some time. I mean, I don't know if, if folks did listen to the balance fights podcast, but when we first started that Liz was kind of like a sidekick question reader and then we really just became totally equal you know, partners and educators on that show. And so who knows, you know, maybe that'll evolve over time. I don't have plans to become like an anti diet nutritionist. I don't plan for that to be my career. I don't think that that's my path. I don't know what my path is. Um, But yeah, it's, it's kind of liberating. And it's fun. And I really enjoy like learning along the way. And it's interesting, too, because um, Abby and I don't, we don't agree on everything 100%. But I do, you know, I do kind of defer to her, her expertise and let her educate in the way that she's going to educate, even if there are things that I'm like, mm, I don't agree with that 100%, you know, but I try not to make that a, a debate on the show, you know, like we don't, I don't get into those types of things. But, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's fun. And I think it's a good balance too. what do you not I don't want to say like, but I've heard you mm-hmm. mention a
0: couple times, you're like, I'm not this anti diet expert, what how do you would you describe yourself in this space now? Like not to put a label on it, Mm -hmm. but do you view it as like anti diet? Because I feel like when I look at social media, for example, there is a very specific like accounts that are just like still in the culture. And then when you're not in it, you kind of have to be in this camp. But do you feel like you're just trying to just be in a space of self love and acceptance? And we are who we are?
2: Yeah. And I think, um, I think uh, I was on a guest on this podcast called Quitted, and I think they talk about quitting things. I love that show. Do you like it? It's, it's great. It's really good. And I think yeah. they use this expression, the, the liminal space, this like in between space. And I I very much feel like that's kind of where I am with what I post about what I share and what I do on social media and on the podcast. Like I'm, I'm in that in between. And I still share, I, you know, I never really shared too much of this very exact here's what I eat in a day I think I've probably done posts like that a handful of times but because I'm terrible at consistency it never lasted too long um But I still will share like cooking and things like that from time to time and posts about food because I love food. You know, I feel like I'm a foodie. I've always been very into food. And I think that's the perspective and the approach that I've always wanted to take. Like I've always wanted people to appreciate and love food no matter what, you know, take they were coming from, if at the time they were doing paleo or keto or any of those things, I always wanted to present things like, how can we get amazing flavor? How can we make it really easy? Those types of things. But I think, yeah, I just kind of share of my life. And now I'm even talking more about like business and entrepreneurship, because part of my life, a huge part of my life is my company, Balanced Bites. You know, we make uh, frozen meals that people can order directly to their homes and spice blends and amazing granolas and all that kind of stuff. And um, I've been an entrepreneur since before people knew me for diet books you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the space that I really came from way, 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 way back. Right before this is like kind of back to your not back to your roots, but like
0: connecting more with that side of you. Yeah, Yeah,
2: it is. It is really back to my roots. And it's um, connecting to that Along the way, um, and that's something that I I've always felt really passionate about. I've just never not never, but I haven't had as much time to focus on helping other entrepreneurs and business owners. I used to do it with a coaching program. I had a sugar detox coaching program and some others like that where I would. Um, help out nutrition coaches with their business. But now I'm starting to offer that to people in all different types of businesses. And that is something that I'm so used to that from my whole life of doing that before this nutrition stuff kind of came up. Um, and so it's really lighting me up. Like I love watching people apply for the program. I have a program called Marketing Essentials that I'm um, kicking off this fall and watching the applications come in and just reading about people's businesses and getting really excited about what individuals are doing. So far, it's all been women who've applied. So of course, I'm like extra sparked on that, too. I love supporting other women business owners, but I really light up you Know reading about what they're doing and wanting to support that, and um, yeah, so it's just kind of this mix of whatever it is that I'm up to and into. You had a storefront for a while <laughs> last year, I did. Was that meant to
0: be just kind of like for a stint, or did you just decide you're like, I don't want to do this anymore?
2: <laughs> um, um, sort of both. It was like I had a two year lease, and I figured, well, we'll see what I think, and we'll see how it goes. And it was going pretty well. Honestly, the store was very much sustaining itself. It was just really tricky to keep it staff. And as a tiny business, you know, relatively speaking, I I was paying more than minimum wage. Okay, so like this is not a an issue around that. But it's tough to think about having people work retail jobs in a city where the amount that I can afford to pay, like somebody working that full-time can't really live on that in this city, you know, here in San Francisco. It would have to be like a student or someone who has other jobs too. And so that was really the biggest challenge was keeping it staffed. Um, But it was, honestly, it was a huge passion project. It was something that, I was really lucky to be able to do that. I did that during the pandemic. So really... I was going to say it was during the pandemic. It was a great location. It looked like a great location. Yeah, was it was like, fantastic. Dang, you got an amazing location. It was fantastic. And I had a great rent. So that was really why I was able to do it. And I when I signed the lease, I kind of figured, well, things were really closed and they'll probably continue to just get more and more open. But, you know, here in the city, I you know, it's different all around the country, but we didn't really fully, fully open up until like much more recently. And so it was tricky. It was definitely tricky, but it was really fun and lovely to connect with people in the neighborhood. And, you know, I have a retail background from way, way back in the day. Designing and creating the store was really fun. It was a ton of fun. And I felt like I was able to bring the brand to life in a way and actually see all of the products that I've created over the last, it's been about, Oh, seven years, six, seven years now. So to see all these products that I've created over the years, physically in person, I was like, wow, this is a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's just like in a warehouse.
1: You yeah it looks see it. so cool but when you yeah, see it it's like all in front of you you're like i created this yeah what a feeling like a tom at- hanks castaway lighting the fire moment it's like look what i made <laughs> totally <laughs> I, I could i would do that i can totally imagine
2: yeah it was really fun but yeah it's like as the lease kind of came up i was like you know what i think i'm ready to close this chapter and um just kind of put my energy and focus into something else and and move on from it my my cat has been obsessed with the fact that i'm I sitting in one it. spot this entire time so as you can see i've grown a tail here i know your it's so listeners can't see but like
1: it
2: the has, tail just weaving in and like out like it's
1: waving in the background so
2: just and i'm sitting on a bench and he's like walking behind me on the bench and then yeah he's been trying to sit in my lap pretty much this whole time It's really cat's amazing a, that's one thousand percent a cat so let me circle back to something
0: you talked about earlier too, and um you probably addressed this a little bit more on the on the full play podcast, but can you talk through just like the moment, for example, maybe in Nordstrom when you had like mm. the quote unquote meltdown, breakdown, whatever you wanna call it, what did what did you do to kind of get yourself through that and move <laughs> out of that? And how do you continue to like work through those times where you're really struggling with, I would, would
2: you call it kind of bumping up against old beliefs, or bumping up against diet culture? Mm-hmm. Um, I would mostly call it body image issues. Like that's mostly what I feel I struggle with now. While that particular experience, like how did I get through it? I honestly, I just like left the store and cried in my car. Like I didn't really get through it so much as like, survive it (laughs) but now you know and this is something we talk about on the show a lot these thoughts and you had said something about this too Claire like these thoughts don't just go away because I've decided I'm no longer doing that the thoughts stay and you know Abby my co-host she she seems to think it'll take twice as long as you were in it to kind of undo it and get out of it. So I was like, so I'm looking at the rest of my life, basically
1: 70 years from now, I will be free of diet culture thoughts. God, what that
2: means. I know it's it sounds scary. But what that means is like, we actually have to learn how to have the thoughts and still live the way we've decided to live anyway, you know, so yes, I still have the thoughts let me just give you an example, like trying to change your body through either manipulating food or exercise is diet culture. Like this is what it does to us. It makes us want to do this. It makes us believe we should do this, that it's good for us to do it. And it is a constant struggle for me to choose movement that feels good for me physically, that feels good for me mentally and emotionally, and that is not punitive, or that I'm not doing it Thinking and hoping that if I'm consistent with this, even if I'm not dieting, this will change my body. Like that is a thought that I have to battle all the time because I do want to move my body. Like today, my movement was a dog walk and then another walk later in the morning where I like called my mom for a little bit and was listening to a podcast for another part of it. And it was not a strenuous walk. I don't have like a weighted vest on or anything. I went up a couple of hills because I live in San Francisco because then I would come back down the hills and come home, you know. So just to get my heart rate up a little bit, but mostly not. And I, Yeah. And just. Trying to choose ways of moving that feel good for a variety of reasons. Um, my mental health has been a huge part of this. I discovered last year that I have ADHD, and I was dealing last summer with some pretty serious depression. And I absolutely think that going through this process of not the quitting dieting part, but the the giving up my place on that, you know, bodily hierarchy that you know Sonia Renee Teller talks about which I definitely recommend her book if people are curious about like what I'm talking about with that. I mean, I think just hearing that expression, we kind of start to get what that means. Quitting my career, giving up my identity, essentially, like what I've built for the last 10 plus years, that was really, really hard. But knowing that certain types of cycling classes, like I use the Peloton, and it's like, do I want to do those intense hit and hills rides? Yes. But do those make me feel good when I'm done? No. You know, and doing different types of rides that I actually finish and I feel good. So these are the types of things that I really have to come up against. Like I love weight training. Absolutely love it. I was getting hurt like every other time I was in the gym. So I had to really step back from that. And I want to approach it again. Hopefully, like I'm thinking this winter, maybe. I feel like winter is a good time for that when it's a little yucky outside. And we just kind of get in the garage gym and lift some weights. But I have to try to keep my head in the right place. Or alternatively, when those thoughts creep in, just notice them, they're going to be there, they're not just going to disappear just because I don't want them to be there. Because society is constantly reminding me of that, right? Society is constantly reminding us of, you know, that false assumption that thinner is better, you know, on a total tangent. Have, have either of you or both of you watched Alone?
0: Not yet. It's on my list. The one where they're like surviving in yeah. the wilderness. It's like full, yeah.
2: full on trigger warning for people with eating disorders, though, like very much a trigger warning because essentially they are just like left in the wilderness to pretty much have a starvation battle. But one of the things that I have really learned, I just think maybe you'll appreciate this. I feel like we all got this survival of the fittest idea and this whole like CrossFit paleo, like ripped looking people are like the quote unquote fittest to survive. And if you watch who goes out into the wilderness and does the best, it's literally not the ripped person. Like they are literally not the one who will survive. They do not have enough body fat to survive anything. Like they're going home first.
1: Right, like and that's you amazing. might want to be able to like scale a fence to get away from a predator if you really need to, but if you were going out there with twelve percent body fat, you are gonna be cold and hungry. God.
2: Actual survival, like <laughs> you are not the one.
1: That's so, so I just laugh.
2: Funny. I think it's so funny. Anyway, <laughs> this is a little tangent. But it, isn't that funny. It's like we all have this yeah, thought right. of like, wow, yeah. that person is really totally. gonna survive. It's like actually. Right. You're Rich running when is there's be f- the
1: last man standing after the apocalypse, like not the case. He's so not. Not you enough know, body no hair. offense to Rich. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no offense, Rich, but you're a goner.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's wow, we just so wild. About Rich running on our podcast in a long time. <laughs> that Glad I, I can
2: motivate you for that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I, thank you. I think it's, it's interesting, like what you're saying about the Peloton ride. And I'm thinking, you know, after like the hit and hills workout, when you're like, do I feel good after that? No, I don't. Is learning like I think that mm. within the CrossFit world and within that background, like we're really similarly to what you're talking about with the you know the leanest survival of the fittest like we are sort of taught to believe that like if you are on the floor trying not to vomit after a workout then that was a good workout if you bring yourself to the brink of injury and find a way to toe the line that is the workout you should be doing that like that level of intensity and don't get me wrong sometimes that level level of intensity does feel really good it's cathartic mm-hmm. you can have this moment of release if you need it but like
0: like major release but not
1: yeah. you know i think we i know speaking For myself, I think I speak for joy. I don't. I don't don't want to presume to speak for you, but like we were chasing that every single workout. And if the workout didn't end with this feeling, the rest of the day feeling depleted, the rest of the day, then it wasn't. I didn't go hard enough. I still left something in the tank. Like I shouldn't have left anything in the tank.
0: It was like something to break. Right. That
1: like oh I can't lift my arms the rest of the day or like wow I can't sit down (laughs) on the the toilet for five days after this. And like again, like I'm not saying that sometimes that still doesn't feel good to reach that level of soreness or reach that level of intensity, but for that to have been the norm and the standard and the benchmark and the benchmark totally. And like, I think relearning for a lot of us, it is a true relearning of like, what does my body actually need? What does it mean to feel replenished by a workout instead of completely like, on the on the floor again what and I think similarly like when we talk about those restrictive diets and RP and macros and what does it mean you know we talk about this a lot I'm sure you do too about like what does it mean to actually eat to satiety what does it actually mean to actually Mm -hmm. feel hungry and what are my hunger cues and am I really hungry you know I've been Second guessing that feeling since I could read Hmm. headlines, like, Am I hungry or am I thirsty? Or do I just need some gum? Or like, am I bored? Or and I think like it we talked about this with Laura Lagos a couple weeks ago and the Sassy dietitian of like we had a segment a couple years ago where we had people write or call in with like the crazy beauty things that they had just internalized and never reconsidered. Like, oh, you know, start your like wash your face, rinse your face with cold water because it'll seal your pores. And like 20 years (laughs) later you're still doing it. And you're like, wait a minute. But like what diet things do? we still hold on to even oh my goodness where it's like in that episode there are
2: so many you like we you would never get through them we don't we can't even get through them and that's what our whole show is about all the rules that we have for ourselves that we don't even realize like
1: you don't eat you don't eat bread you don't eat pasta you don't eat bagels like you forget like baked goods forget you know like entire food groups entire macro groups forget waking up in the morning and thinking like what do i want for breakfast
0: Mm. instead of being like I need to fast till noon. Like, what if we did an actual experiment where we wrote down the rules that like popped in our head throughout the day and just like took a log of them for 24
2: hours. It's actually really hard to even identify some of them as being a rule because you think that's just how I eat. And I say you meaning myself too, like, Oh, um, even something like having protein with every meal, like a piece of, you know, protein, like there's protein in almost everything. I had that it. thought today.
0: I was like eating all carbs this morning. And I was like, I should have some protein. Right. And I'm like, Why? And I that's, just really enjoyed those. Carbs. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. I think, I think with like feeling the movement and what feels good, that is so hard because to your point about like the laying on the floor after the workout, w- and what is the reason that people do that? I would say 90 plus percent in my, you know. Scientific <laughs> estimation <laughs> have an intent or goal of changing their body in some way. It's to change or maintain their body if it's in a place where they wanted it. It's not just pride, and it's not just it's it's not just the number on the board or the weight that you lifted. I do think weightlifting itself can definitely be a, a less body centric thing for a lot of people. Like especially powerlifting. Um, If you look at powerlifters who are like the best powerlifters, like that is not a body competition. But yeah, this is something that we've done multiple episodes on, which is like, how do you know when you're hungry? Uh, We've talked about like emotional eating, we've talked about all different types of things, because I learned so much about this, that hunger is so much more than that grumble in our stomach like even thinking about food is a hunger cue. I mean, that is mind blowing to me because I'm like, well, I literally used to think about food 24 seven. And I was pretty much hungry all the time before like, unless I had just eaten, I was almost hungry all the time before I stopped dieting. And now it's like, yeah, I'll get hungry again. Or I'll think about food a little bit before I feel a little bit before I feel that grumble in my stomach. And thinking about food is a cue that you're hungry. And it's not a cue that you're thirsty, like it is a real thing. And I think that there are so many more things that tell us that we're hungry. Here's another really fun one that happens people when you're a bit underslept, you know how you just kind of crave more carbs and you feel more hungry? Well, what are the ways that we feel energy from sleeping and from eating? So of course, naturally, your body's like, maybe a little more food, because we didn't get that much sleep, we need energy. And so it's totally normal that we're a little hungrier. And we shouldn't ignore that and ignore our body. And those moments are when we are not listening to our body, but we're shutting it down with the rules that we have. And this is all stuff I've really learned about too, just going through the process, being a co-host on my show, I get to kind of have a front seat to learning some of this. But I've learned it along the way too, to really break down some of these rules, like even things that I've taught people in the past, like, oh, well, if your breakfast is leaving you hungry two or three hours later, maybe it wasn't like satisfying enough or big enough and if you need a second breakfast then maybe you should eat a different breakfast. So it's like, well or you just eat another breakfast and maybe the next time it's inconvenient for you to have to eat again. So maybe you're like, okay, maybe I'll do something that, you know, will leave me feeling fuller longer the next time. But also so what? So what if you, you know, want the oatmeal for breakfast and maybe in two hours you want to have something else. Like you're hungry again. That's okay. Eat something. <laughs> like it's just it's so
1: I'm right. laughing it's because like it's a, so
2: ridiculous that I would think that that was a bad thing.
1: That it's almost like a flaw to be hungry more hungry. often than you're supposed to be. Uh, totally.
2: Quote unquote. Yeah, right. supposed to be. Right.
1: That, like, there are yeah. like allowed times of hunger, and anything outside of that is like a problem to fix that it should be fixed with something other than just right. eating.
2: Just eating. I know. But it it is really scary for people. And I get that. I mean, I'm the first one to say, like, I understand how hard it is to tune into yourself and realize how often you want or need to eat and how much food it takes to actually feel satisfied. Um, it's also a little bit intimidating or scary to go through this process and have moments or meals or days where you actually end up overeating a little bit and feeling a little too full and uncomfortable because you really didn't know how much food would feel good because we've spent so many years not eating enough, essentially. So, and I, I mean, I'm saying we. I'm not making assumptions about every single person, but I'm guessing that it's most. it's a lot. It's most of us. It's a lot. You know, it's most of us. Have you read any of Evelyn Triplett's
0: books? The I haven't. I mean, it's a. It's it's one way. I will say it's like one way of doing right. things. It's not the way of doing things, but it's a. V- it's a very important book around how to tap into your body cues and how to reject the diet culture and all that stuff. And so it's a lot of what you're saying too of like, we just don't even know what it feels like to be hungry. Or we know we don't even know what it feels like to like be full and know when you're full mm. and then listen to your hunger cues and eat when you're hungry versus like ignoring it and trying to push it off, push it off, push it off. So it's, it's just, it's a lot of unlearning, but I'm glad that you're, I'm so glad that you're doing it in a way that's just like uniquely you. There's been so much influence throughout the years for for all of us, Mm -hmm. but this truly feels like a path that you're like coming home to yourself. And that's, it's really cool to watch. So I'm really grateful that you the time to talk to us today, and we'll continue to watch your journey and support you as much as you need. <laughs> but let's let's tell the listeners where they can find you now and your uh, newish podcast yeah. with your
2: co-host. Well, thank you. That was really sweet. I appreciate that. Um, you can find me on Instagram, just at my name at Diane Sanfilippo. The podcast is called Full Plate. Um, I also actually send a weekly email newsletter. If you just go to Diane Sanfilippo.com, there's a sign up there, and I write an article each week for the newsletter that's along these lines like I talked about the catalyst to me stopping dieting and I I try to make it almost like what we used to do with blogging where we would like really sit down and write a thing but I really want to connect with people in that way where folks have said, yes, I want to sit down and read this, you know, so those are some of the biggest ways. And then my company Balanced Bites, if folks are looking to support a small business that makes like really yummy, amazing food, and we're working really hard on breaking away from a lot of the diet culture things. Like we are very particular about our language, we always have been but just moving away from certain things, we do still have certain things labeled like paleo or keto, I just, I don't know what to do with that. People want to buy a box of meals that's called that i'm like eventually we probably won't but you know i'm trying to go step by step it's
0: easy to know what's in it you know for people are familiar with it exactly. Sure, yeah
2: yeah but you know you're not
0: telling people to go keto but i hear exactly i hear the like i hear the both sides of it i'm just like yeah, yeah i could see both sides yeah
2: so yeah there's all of that um but yeah those are the best places and full plate is my podcast we're we have new episodes every week Um, every Monday. And I promise it's not as scary as you might think to listen. I think a lot of people were really afraid to listen in the beginning, afraid that they were going to hear things they didn't want to hear. Or I don't know how else to explain that fear. But that's kind of part of it. And I promise it's a very like nurturing and supportive podcast. And you're going to hear, you know, both some education and some really just compassionate words of wisdom. So I hope people mm-hmm. will come listen to it. We'd love yes, to have you. Yes, go listen.
0: It's a supportive and loving environment. Not so much like a. I think people are always afraid to listen or hear something because they have to reflect on their yep. own stuff. Yep. And I don't think it's always about that. I mean, I don't think that's always a bad thing, and it's it's done in such a way that's like really loving and kind.
2: Yeah, and you can you can take it or not. You know, you can listen and
1: and just consider it. It's information. You're not getting yeah. sent to the Dyer okay. principal's office. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, thank you again so much, Dan, for joining us. Listeners, you know where to find us. We are on Instagram at Claire underscore. You can find us at com. You can email us. This is joyandclare at gmail.com. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Ned. That's helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash joy or use discount code joy for 15% off. Thank you so much for joining us. And guess what, guys? The Great British Bake Off starts this week oh my Yay. gosh oh my gosh so join us this weekend for a new episode of on your marks get set bake i love joy and claire but i love on your marks get set bake more so please join us <laughs> i'm so excited that's it for this week we'll talk to you next time bye, bye guys